Good morning again. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one uh, from the table in the back. And let me say, if you don't own a Bible, you should feel free to take that Bible with you. uh, Write your name in it. Keep it as your own. Bring it back week after week as we study God's word together. Again, our scripture reading for this morning is Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Before we read that, please pray with me. Our Father, we come before you again to hear from you, to hear your word, to understand it, to be changed by it. Father, this this is a spiritual thing. This is something that can only happen by your spirit. Uh, We cannot affect change in our own hearts. I cannot affect change by the words that I use. Father, only your spirit can change us. And so we come longing for your spirit to work, to use your word to to draw us closer to you. Father, we pray that you would do that this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Well, if you have kids, you've probably seen it a hundred times. You give kids a rule, you tell them not to do something, and instantly they are pointing out how their sibling has fallen short. And you end up even with some really absurd situations where you have one sibling telling on another sibling for tattling on a third. See, we have this propensity to take any rule and instantly apply it to everyone but ourselves. Well, Jesus, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount uh, for a couple weeks now, and Jesus has been explaining the law and the prophets. He's been explaining the Old Testament scriptures, and he's, he's told us that we fulfill the law and the prophets when we have the character of our Father, when we live to please our Father, and when we trust our Father with our very lives. But no sooner do we hear Jesus than we begin applying what he says wrongly. You know, scripture can be a very dangerous thing. I mean, it's easy to, to beat people up with it until they run screaming from the church, all the while ignoring 
our own failures. It's easy to think, on the other hand, that, well, it's easy. We rush in thinking that it's a piece of cake, assuming that we have what it takes to do what Jesus says, which often ends in either disillusionment, when we realize that we just can't do it, or pretending to be something that we know we're not to keep up appearances. Why do we do all that? Well, I think one of the reasons that we apply Scripture in those ways is because we don't want to admit how bad we really are. We ignore uh, or we judge others to, to feel better about ourselves, and we ignore others' stubborn rejection of the gospel because we want to excuse our own half-hearted commitment. We don't ask God for help to keep his commandments because, well, we think we can really do it on our own. Jesus here in this passage this morning, he corrects our, our wrong-headed application of the sermon. How do we apply the law and the prophets? How, how do we take God's word and put it into practice? Well, Jesus tells us three things in this passage. He tells us, one, to, to apply Scripture to ourselves first. He calls us to engage others with discernment. And then he calls us to pursue humble dependence. And so we're going to look at those three things. You can find that outline in the back of your bulletin. Jesus' call, a call for personal application, a call for discerning engagement, and a call for humble dependence. But before we jump into that, actually, I want us to look at the end of this passage. I want us to look at verse 12. There, there in verse 12, we have Jesus' summary of the Old Testament, of the Law and the Prophets, which really is his summary of his sermon up to this point. Remember, Jesus said back in chapter 5, verse 17, that he came to fulfill the Law and the Prophets. And now he tells us what that Law and the Prophets say. Verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is, this is the summary of Jesus' sermon. It's, it's for God's people. It's the principle of kingdom ethics, the principle of how we are to live before God. You could put this in lots of different ways. In fact, the Bible does. The Bible at different points calls us to, to love one another as Jesus has loved us or to love your neighbor as yourself, or, or to count others as more important than yourselves. But all of these capture the same basic idea of sacrificially putting others first, of actively seeking the good of another at cost to yourself. Now this is in contrast, actually, to the way this rule is put in many other religions, uh, many people point out that, that this rule, sometimes called the golden rule, that, that this rule is found in almost every major religion in the world. And that's sort of true, but not exactly. Because most of the times you find it in other places, it's actually put in the negative form. And so it says things like, that which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another. Or never impose on others what you would not choose for yourself. Or do not do to others that which angers you when they do it to you. You get the point, right? We could go on. It's put in the negative. But the negative form is not the same as the positive, isn't it? Because I can avoid doing harm to another person without ever actually doing them good. And so Jesus doesn't call us merely to avoid harming others, but he calls us to actively seek the good of those around us, which is much more difficult. 
Think of how different the gospel would be if God had just avoided doing us harm rather than actively seeking our good. I mean, God could have just left us, left us alone, left us to our sin, not harmed us, right? Not, not angered us, as the other commandments say, not imposed on us what he would not choose for himself. But essentially, we would have all ended up in hell anyway, because if God had left us to ourselves, the Bible says, in the end comes judgment. But God doesn't leave us to ourselves, right? He doesn't merely avoid harming us. God actively sought our good in the gospel, The Father saw our condition and had mercy by sending His Son. The Son saw our condition and had mercy by becoming a man, by bearing our sin, and by dying on the cross. The Holy Spirit saw our condition and had mercy by coming to dwell inside of us to bring the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection for us. Reconciliation to the Father and renewal from the inside out. See, God in the gospel did not merely not do to us what he would not want done to himself. No, he sought actively our good. Hence, the golden rule, as it is in Scripture, right, is the outworking of the character of God displayed in the gospel. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Actively seek the good of those around you. This is the summary of the law and the prophets according to Jesus. Now, this is scary teaching, right? Because if I'm honest with myself, how often really do I do to others what I wish they would do to me? I mean, if I really evaluate uh, my life, my actions, my thoughts in light of this rule, right, what kind of grade am I going to give myself? Well, it would be bad, let me tell you. (laughs) And here's the rub, right? Because one of the main reasons I think we misapply Scripture is because we don't want to admit how bad we really are. And so if I see this rule, this law, right, and I realize how far I fall short, my inclination is going to be to somehow, one way or another, to apply it wrongly. Because I don't want to fess up. I don't want to admit how bad I really am. And so once we see this law, it's easy then to begin misapplying it. And so Jesus cautions us in this sermon. He cautions us first by calling us to personal application, to apply the scriptures to yourself first before applying it to others. He begins that in chapter 7, verse 1. Chapter 7, 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. Now what is condemned here? is not simply judging, but being judgmental, right? Making value judgments is often necessary. We're going to see that later in this sermon, in this, in this text that we're looking at, that, that making value judgments is not what Jesus is saying we shouldn't do. We have to make value judgments, right? If you never made value judgments of any kind, you'd have to treat good the same as evil, Right? Uh, If there were no value judgments, uh, that would mean you couldn't condemn the child molester and you couldn't commend the one who fights for social justice, right? You'd have to just say they were both the same. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not warning us against value judgments, but he's warning us against nitpicking other people when we overlook our own sins. And and what's worse, Jesus is talking about, if you notice, he talks about uh, doing this with a brother at one point. 
And so what's worse is Jesus talking, is talking about us judging our fellow Christians. That's often the people that we criticize the most, isn't it? Other Christians, other believers, maybe, maybe they're from a different denomination, uh, maybe they're from different churches, maybe they just have a different opinion on some secondary issue or how to raise your family or politics or something like that. But we're often harshest in our judgments with our fellow believers, sadly enough. Jesus gives us three reasons why that's a bad idea. First, he says in verse 2, that we will be judged with the same standard with which we judge others. What, he, what he's saying is when we nitpick at others, when you scoff at people who, who misspeak, or when you jump on people who make a mistake, or when you condemn people who fall into sin, Jesus is saying, watch out. Right? With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the standard you use to judge others, you will be judged. Now, it's actually hard to know exactly what Jesus means here. Because we often judge people by pretty petty standards. But surely Jesus is not saying that God is petty, right? He's not saying that God is going to treat you in a petty way. And yet maybe Jesus is getting at the same thing he mentioned earlier in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And the idea there was, and, and, and would be here, is that if you're a person whose heart is still harsh and still critical and still unforgiving, if that is just your, your mode of life, is that, if that's your normal way of living, then you have to ask yourself if your heart has been changed by the gospel at all. See, forgiveness and grace, they, they are a mark of those who have come to know Jesus. Jesus' grace as it works in us. It begins to show us those sins and break them down so that we begin to show the same grace that Jesus shows to us. Well, secondly, Jesus says in, in, in verse 3, he calls us to see the absurdity of this kind of judgment. Verse 3, he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You know, why is it, Jesus says, that you see this little tiny thing in your brother, but you haven't noticed this large thing in yourself? And, and the image is funny, isn't it? I mean, you know, just imagine someone walking around with a log sticking out of their eye. It's funny, right? It's humorous. And, he's, and he goes around, he has this log sticking out of his eye, and he goes around pointing out specks in other people's eyes. Like, do you notice this little thing in your eye right there? All the while, right, there's this log. But that's often the way we act, isn't it? We look for sins in other people, and yet we ignore them in ourselves. We're overly sensitive to the sins of others, and yet we're desensitized to our own. Jesus says it's absurd, right? And, and it goes further in, in uh, verse 4. He gives us a third reason. Verse 4 says, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your own eye? Right? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? Here Jesus says, look, your help is useless. Again, imagine this scenario, right? There's this guy with his log sticking out of his eye, and he's trying to help the guy with the speck. It's, it's, it's absurd, but it's more than that, right? Because if I literally, if I literally, take the image literally for a minute, if I have a log sticking out of my eye, what's going to happen when I try to come close to you to try to remove a speck from your eye? Right? Uh, well, one, I'm not going to be able to get close enough to help because I have this big log in the way. 
Every time I look at you, this, this log is going to get in the way. And, and two, I'm probably going to whack you in the head with my log, right? right? I, I'm actually going to do you harm. And the idea is, if I have this sin in my life and I'm not dealing with it, I'm, I'm just ignoring it, I'm pretending it doesn't exist, the, effects, the, the effect is actually going to be to harm the people I try to help. Right? It will hinder my usefulness. Okay, so what does this all mean, right? If I see a brother, if I see a fellow Christian uh, sinning, uh, do I say something or not? Can I say something? Should I say something? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 5, verse 5, he says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, do you point it out or don't you point it out? Well, the answer is yes. Should you help your brother with the speck? Yes, you should. But first, notice Jesus says, first, deal with yourself. He doesn't say ignore the speck. He doesn't say, oh, just, just forget about it. It's not important. It's only a speck. No, he says, first, deal with the log in your own eye. What this means is, you know, the phrase judge not is maybe not what it first seems to us. Jesus is not saying you should never judge in the sense of discerning right from wrong, but he's only saying apply Scripture to yourself first before applying it to others. He's saying if we're to be the kind of people who help others with their struggles, we must first be dealing with our own hearts. Do you regularly look at your heart in light of Scripture? Do you, do you evaluate your life in light of God's Word? Do you look at your actions and your words and your habits the way you spend your time and your money and your talents and your relationships. If you don't wrestle with your own heart and your own actions, Jesus is saying you have no right to talk to others about their sin. And Christians, this is so important that we get this because if we are, if we are dealing with others, if we are not dealing with others, whether Christians or non-Christians, if we're not dealing with them out of a humble sense of our own sin, we will do more harm than good. Okay, let's say you're doing that, right? You're not, you're not perfect, but you're daily, you're wrestling with your own sin, you're open to rebuke yourself, right? Who do you engage with the message of Scripture? In verse 6, Jesus calls us to a discerning engagement. Verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus is actually saying here that some people are, are not ready to hear the message of the law and the prophets. Some will respond in violence. Their intent will be evil. They are, they are dogs and pigs, according to Jesus, which is pretty strong language, right? It's a serious judgment call on Jesus' behalf, isn't it? Calling people dogs. Of course, he's perfect. He can do that. But he calls them dogs and pigs who will only trample your message underfoot and turn and attack you. Rather than listening, he's saying they're going to respond in violence. What's Jesus saying? Well, he's saying that there are some people with whom you should not share the message of the law and the prophets. Now, that's kind of odd to our ears. Right? I think it probably should be odd to our ears. But we, we, think, uh, we think, well, we should call all people to repent, right? That's what the Bible says. We should share the gospel with everyone, right? But that's not exactly what Jesus says here. 
Now, he, he talks about what is holy and he talks about pearls. Th- those he's most likely referring there to the message of the kingdom, right? For one, Jesus has been teaching about how we use our words, how we interact with others. But second, the pearl is used later on in Matthew uh, in one of the parables uh, where, where the kingdom of heaven is called a pearl of great value. And third, right, the kingdom is this running theme in Jesus' sermon. Uh, you know, it's what the poor in spirit and the persecuted receive. It's what those who have an exceeding righteousness enter. It's our goal to be called great in the kingdom. It's what we're to seek, his kingdom and his righteousness, right? So Jesus keeps talking about the kingdom again and again. And Jesus is saying here that his, uh, of his holy kingdom, that you're not to give it to the dogs or the pigs, Dogs or pigs are common terms for for unholy people, specifically Gentiles, which gives us a little bit of a dilemma because if the holy pearl is the message of the kingdom and the dogs and the pigs are terms for Gentiles, which would include most of us in this room, uh, then, then it would seem that we are not to give the message of the kingdom to Gentiles, which makes all evangelism of non Jews contrary to Scripture, which clearly is not what Jesus is saying. So, what is he getting at? Well, the best way to understand what Jesus means here is actually to watch him live it out in the Gospels. Jesus is a master at this. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus heals a man with a legion of demons. The townspeople are terrified, so they beg him to leave. Go away. What does he do? He leaves. Matthew 13, in Jesus' hometown, the people had little faith, and so Jesus refused to do miracles there. Matthew 12 and 16, the religious leaders ask for a sign, and Jesus, who had done dozens of miraculous signs, says no. Matthew 21, people ask Jesus where his authority came from, and he won't tell them. Matthew 26, Jesus, after being arrested, is questioned, and he refuses to answer. See, Jesus is saying... Jesus is not saying, he's not saying that we should go around determining who is and who is not worthy of the gospel, because of course that would be none of us. None of us are worthy of the gospel. But he is saying, be discerning. Don't turn your brain off when you're talking uh, to people about Jesus. He's saying, he's not saying to be suspicious of everyone, but he is saying to be wise. It's similar to what Paul says in 2 Timothy. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. See, Paul is saying, don't let yourself be dragged into a meaningless argument, but be wise in the way that you interact with others. Now, all of these people that Jesus interacted with, that he didn't speak to, or he didn't show a sign to, or he didn't answer their questions, interestingly enough, none of them were Gentiles. In fact, they were the religious leaders of the Jews almost every time. And so by saying, don't cast your pearls before pigs, Jesus is not saying don't share the the message of the kingdom with Gentiles, but he's saying be discerning. Jesus is always sharing the kingdom with Gentiles, actually. You read through the Gospels, he shares with tax collectors and sinners and Gentiles and prostitutes. Why? Because they are the ones who are longing to hear the message of grace. So uh, one commentator asks the obvious obvious question then, how do we recognize those whom Jesus thus describes? Or or how do we know who not to share with, right? How do we know then? Who are the dogs? Who are the pigs? How do we make that assessment, that judgment? Well, this commentator's answer is by their response to the gospel, which 
seems counterintuitive because how do I know what their response is going to be before I share with them? But he's actually right. Jesus will tell his, his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 that when they and the gospel are rejected, they're to move on. You're never going to know how people will respond until you first talk to them about Jesus. But some people prove by their initial response that they're unwilling to listen. When that happens, move on and talk to somebody else. That's what Jesus is getting at, right? You, don't, you, don't, you know, when you come to someone and they've rejected your message, you don't keep giving it to them until they trample it to death, right? You just say, okay, you don't want to hear, that's fine, and you move on to somebody else. Now, one of the reasons that we wrongly condemn others or wrongly excuse others is because of our own sin. That's, we've said that a couple times. We, we, don't, we don't want to be honest about what's going on in our hearts. Uh, we often condemn others to make ourselves feel good about where we are. We justify them for the same reason. Jesus did neither of those things. Right, there's a story, in, a great story in John chapter 8 about the, the woman caught in adultery. In the end of that story, Jesus says to this woman, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And yet that's not really the end of the story because then Jesus goes to the cross and he is condemned for this woman. Rather than judging her, he is judged for her. And it's only when we get that that we are actually free to do what Jesus is saying here. Because if we know that we have been forgiven for our sins, then we don't need to condemn others to make ourselves feel better. We don't need to justify others to get rid of our own guilt. And we can face our own sin. We can face the depth of that in light of the cross. And and we can practice discernment and walk away when people reject the gospel. We don't need people to accept our message. We don't need people to accept our message because we have already been accepted in Christ. So Jesus tells us not to judge those who fall short when you you haven't first dealt with your own mess, and yet not to be naive about those who stubbornly reject the gospel. He calls us to personal application. He calls us to a discerning engagement with the people around us. Finally, Jesus calls us to humble dependence. You know, if you've listened to Jesus' sermon... It's call to have an inward, not just an outward righteousness. It's call to live to please God and not men. It's call to seek heavenly treasure and not earthly treasure. It's call not to worry or be anxious about life. It's call not to judge others, but to apply scripture to yourself first. It's call to be okay when people reject you because of the gospel. If you've heard all of this, you've probably felt along the way the impossibility of doing all that Jesus has said. I mean, he has set a high bar. In fact, it's so high that at one point, Jesus actually said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's enough to set your head spinning. So how do we move forward? How do we actually begin to put into practice what Jesus is telling us to put into practice? Well, essentially, Jesus' answer is, remember who your father is. Yes, you you can't do it in your own strength, but Jesus says you must ask, seek, and knock. Right? Do you want to do what Jesus has been saying in the sermon? Look at verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. See, if you have needs, where do you go? You ask your Father, and he will provide. 
This, this not only goes true, we think about this in terms of, well, I, I need food or I need clothing or I need a job or I need this or I need that. No, it's not just those things, right? It's also, I, I need to learn to live uh, rightly before my Father. I need to learn to love Him with all my heart. I need, to, I need to seek His righteousness and not my own. I need to seek to honor Him and not, not, be, not look good before men. I, I need to seek to please Him and not please men. I, I need those things. Where do they come from? They come from asking asking our Father in heaven. And Jesus cites as evidence the behavior of human fathers, right? He says that human fathers are, who are evil, wow, right, by the way, human fathers who are evil, right, they know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more your Father who is in heaven? And then Jesus gives, he gives a couple of specific examples. The first example Jesus gives is particularly striking in verse 9. Verse 9, Jesus says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? I want you to think back. I want you to think back just, just before this, this sermon that Jesus has been giving. Jesus is baptized, right? He's baptized. The spirit descends on him like a dove. And then he goes into the wilderness and he fasts. And he goes without bread. He has no bread. But what does he have an abundance of? He has an abundance of stones, Right? How do we know that? Because Satan says to him, turn these stones into bread. But Jesus refuses, of course, because he trusts his father to provide. So Jesus had stones but no bread, and now he's telling us, even earthly fathers will give bread to their children and not stones. What are we to make of all this? Well, first, th- this is what we're seeing, right? Jesus was the son of who received the stone instead of bread so that we might receive bread instead of stones, right? You know, the father who will hear our cries because of the cross where he didn't hear the son's cries. Uh, Jesus was rejected that you might be accepted. You lack godliness, you lack humility, you lack the kingdom. Well, go to your father and ask him for it and don't stop asking because he will hear your prayers for the sake of his son. The son went without so that you might have all things. The other thing we learn uh, when we compare this passage to Jesus in the wilderness is this, that your father will provide in his timing. Jesus endured much suffering in his earthly life, didn't he? It began with his temptation in the wilderness, but it only seemed to get worse as it went on. I mean, it finally came to a head at the cross where Jesus suffered for all the sins of his people. And then Jesus is buried But that was not the end, right? Jesus rose from the dead in glory. He ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus did go without for a time. In fact, he went without in a way greater than we will ever go without because on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father forsook his son on the cross, something we have never gone through. And if we belong to Jesus, we'll never go through. Jesus went without, but not forever, right? He then rose from the dead and God raised him up and seated him at his right hand. Suffering preceded glory, right? Glory, was fo- uh, glory followed after suffering. What are you wrestling with right now? Uh, what sins are you struggling with? What doubts, what earthly troubles, right? James says, right, you do not have because you do not ask God, right? Ask your father for relief. Seek him out. Uh, knock down the doors of heaven in prayer. He will hear you and he will respond in his time. 
Suffering precedes glory, but that means glory follows suffering. Your Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. Ask and wait for your Father to fulfill in his time. If he doesn't fulfill in this life, if you suffer throughout this life and and always go without and then die, if you belong to Jesus, right, he will fulfill in the resurrection and in the life to come. Trust him. Your Father knows what you need. He will supply your needs in his time, at the right time. See, we receive the kingdom, we receive the Father's blessing, we receive all of his promises, not because we have it all together, not because it's just simply given to everyone, no, but because we humbly ask for it. We need to ask God to save us, to save us from our own sin, to save us from sin's judgment, and to renew us from the inside out for his glory. We need to ask him, Father, Father, conform me to the image of your Son. Father, help me to delight in you. Help me to seek to please you rather than to please men. Help me to have an internal righteousness, not just an external appearance of righteousness. We need to ask. And Jesus promises, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your many promises. We thank you that you promise to hear our prayers. And we come confessing, Father, how, how far we fall short. Father, we do have planks in our own eyes. We do have a mess in our own souls. And yet we still look down our noses at other people and judge them and condemn them. Oh, Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Father, for our, our, our critical attitudes. Forgive us for being judgmental. Forgive us for being condemning. Forgive us for being condescending. Forgive us for thinking that we have it all together, for ignoring our own sin, for hiding it from others. Father, conform us to the image of your Son. We are asking. We pray these things in Jesus' name.